The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Man, I'm so excited for today's episode. Listen to this quote, never compromise who you are personally to become who you wish to be professionally. That's a quote from today's guest, Janice bryant Howroyd, is on the show. So excited that she's here. Businesswoman, entrepreneur, educator, ambassador, author, mentor, presidential special appointee. Janice is the founder and CEO of the Act One Group, which is a global leader providing customized cutting-edge solutions in the HR, human resources industry. It's a multi-billion dollar business. She's recognized, currently listed as number 39 in Forbes' list of America's richest self-made women. In 2014, she was recognized by Black Enterprise as the first African-American woman to own and operate a billion-dollar company. She was the first ever BET Honors Entrepreneur of the Year and received Black Enterprises Business of the Year Award. And in 2013, she was appointed a USA Ambassador of Energy at the White House. In 2016, she received a key presidential appointment by Barack Obama as a member of the President's Board of Advisors on Historically Black Colleges and Universities. She's a community leader and advocate for education. She lends her guidance to select organizations and recognized all over the globe. In her hallway... In her headquarters, she hangs a painting which was inspired by the U.S. Supreme Court decision Brown versus Board, because which outlawed school segregation. Because she says it's a she's a product of that energy, and we talk about that in this episode. It's a very powerful conversation um, by one of today's top leading entrepreneurs and a great example of leadership. And I just was so thrilled to have her on the show. You're really going to get a lot of value out of this show. It is brought to you by my Dose of Leadership University. If you hadn't had a chance to go check it out, go to doseofleadership.com slash university. You can learn more about joining a select group, a community of like-minded leaders, people who are looking for and searching for significance just like you, trying to become the best leader that you can possibly be. You're trying to find the time. You're trying to find ways to get more effective in your relationships and your, your time management, your accountability. You know that leadership is um, part of that solution. And that's what this university is all about. Join me and some uh, group of 30 other like-minded folks that's going to help you, push you to become accountable, to become the leader you were called to be. You can learn more, again, at doseofleadership.com slash university. You can watch the videos and look at the testimonials and see if it might be a good fit. If it is, fill out the form. It'll send an email directly to me, and we'll set up a time where we can talk to see if it might be a good fit for you. I'd like love to talk to you about the possibility of joining the university. All right, let's get on with this great conversation with Janice Bryant-Howroyd here on Dose of Leadership. Janice, what a thrill to have you on Dose of Leadership. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Thanks for coming on. 
Oh my goodness, no. I thank you. I thank you for the work you're doing, doing given to the world. And I'm kind of looking forward to it myself. Well, this is exciting. I read your book, Acting Up, and so many things in that book. I just kept highlighting and highlighting and highlighting. I would have loved to have met your mother. I was just reading that, and I feel like I just... I just feel like I got to know her from reading your book. And I was like, what an amazing woman. I can tell she was the the main influence for your life. I mean, what an amazing woman. Well, we're told that we know a tree by the fruit it bears. So I hope I'm a little representative of mom. But just in case, I did get quite a few of her quotes and her teachings in there. Uh, And by the way, she's still thriving in North Carolina. She has not enjoyed being quarantined for the length of COVID, but she's such a faith-based woman. She was faithful that she and her friends and family would survive it. And so we're all going to see her on 4th of July, Rich, if you're here. Just come on by if you're vaccinated. Oh, my God. Yeah, what just she just seemed like I don't know something that seems to be so vacant or a vacuum in in kind of our culture. It, you know, there's there's something that about your mom that just seems to be missing in in, in large measure these days. I don't know. I just I, it kind of reminded me of my grandma, um, my relatives I grew up with. I don't know. That's why I just was so attracted to what she, what you had to say about her. Well, you know, you occasioned me to think about her on another level as well. And it just came to me as you were talking about her. Um, Mom, number one, Elretha Knight, as a youngster growing up, was quite an incredible woman. Elretha Knight Bryant, married to my dad, uh, was just a thing empowered. And she taught me as I the thing that I'm thinking about for the first time, Rich, with you bringing this up, is that. Mom was powerful as an individual. Mm -hmm. She never succumbed her individuality to dad. She was also dynamic in how she was a partner to him. Dad has passed away. And so much of who he was continues to live through her. Um, But I just think there's a lesson in there somewhere that I have yet to explore about the gifts from my mother. My mother taught me how to be the lady I want to be in the Mm -hmm. Southern sense and in the progressive new world sense. She also taught me the beauty and the power of service. And so you're causing me to think about her on a lot of levels right now that I think transcend gender Mm -hmm. and speak to how we lead our lives and how we lead others in that process. And I thank you because that's a gift for me this morning. Yeah. I mean, just reading it and just these images of just the shoulders that you're standing on. I mean, obviously your mom and your dad, but your mom, particularly um, your dad, some amazing stories about your dad in the book too, that I was just so impressed with, but yeah, I mean, and I know, you know, this, I mean, I know that, you know, that you're standing on their shoulders and the shoulders that, you know, made them, I just started, had me start thinking about just the impact of influence and legacy. Like what was the, what was your grandparents? Like what were your great grandparents? Like something had to happen to have that continuum be passed down. Right. I mean, that's, that's and what I find amazing. Influenced, influenced them in ways that were beyond just cultural. Right. Uh, naturally the economics of it were an influence, but also spiritually mm-hmm. how they were influenced. You know, culturally, we can be very different as people. Spiritually, we can be very the same. 
And when we understand that, I think it allows us not only to appreciate each other's cultures, but also to learn what blends best and what's left best to stand out, be distinctive, unique, and enhancing. Dad was born in up in Manio Way in North Carolina, okay, uh, over in Virginia Dare country. Um, and um, many of the family members there, my dad uh, grew up as African-American, but most of his family members look real white, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 green eyes, blue eyes, you know. Uh, and mom grew up in Tarboro, North Carolina. And Tarboro held its own plantation during the Civil War. And so my family comes as a mixture of many people. All of those are shoulders we're standing on, mm-hmm. as you and I, you know, just referenced around the economics, the culture, you know, of it. But the important thing is, I think all of them had a vision and yeah. a thing they were moving toward. Yeah. And so combining the best of who each of them was enabled us, I think, to place me and my, my siblings and me in, in, in the position we are today. Now, mom was the talker in the family. And so many people always thought of mom as being that snappy little lady. She had a soprano voice. She never got more than five feet tall in heels. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, 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 and just the best housekeeper, best uh, homework helper, just the, the ideal Norman Rockwell mom living on the black side of town. And dad was that hard worker. Some of the best parts of our culture were derived from dad, I think, because dad was one of several siblings whose parents died in his younger sister's childbirth. And so his aunt brought him to Tarbur and raised him there. And that's how he and mom met as children. That story that about your dad, that, and I and I I don't only have articulated because I, I read it a couple times, but you know, obviously, when the schools were being integrated for the first time, and I think you were in eleventh grade, and you go to this teacher, and this teacher is just an absolute racist, right? And saying the most racist, vile things about slavery, using the N word, and you go home when you tell your dad. And your old man says, you know, look, you go back there. And if you want me to go back with her, I'll go with you. I'll take a day off of work and I'll go do this. And But there's something about that. And I don't know how to articulate it. Maybe you can help me with this. But there's something very noble about his response, very powerful about his response. Noble and pow- powerful is the word in his response uh, of this, this. I don't know if it's stoic. Well, Rich. Go ahead. Rich, daddy, daddy was also the man who said, if you go to bed at night and you're not settled between yourself as siblings, it's your attitude. It's not your aptitude. Yeah. Dad wanted us to be free thinkers. He wanted us to have the freedom of our thoughts and the discipline of our behavior. And in his response to me, I think he exemplified two of the things he thought were strongest of matter in raising his children. We were never told not to say something to him or mom. We were told how to say it 
respectfully at the right time and with good intention. But we were left to say those things we honestly thought. He felt by doing so, not only could he guide us with where he had wisdom, you and I will agree that wisdom is knowledge well married to experience. He also felt it would help us to be a strong tribe. He wanted his children to get along. Dad was one of of several siblings who got split up because mom Mm -hmm. and dad died. His older brother, Gaddis, actually built roughshod a house that those children were living in until my Aunt Sarah went down there and grabbed dad and brought him to Tarboro to raise him. And so he wanted family more than anything, and he respected hard work. Those kids worked hard. I'm talking about young children living in a cabin that an older brother built until his aunt came to pick the baby up. And so he brought a lot of that into his marriage and family was critical to him. He insisted that we never hold back on what we were thinking because he thought it was so important toward solutioning. I honestly think the world could use a little bit of that today. For sure. When we cancel people on some levels before we actually find out how to guide them on others. And I don't mean to be political here. I just really think that in a country as great as America or as world, a world as great as we have, technology is enabling us to have conversations just as you and I are having right now on bigger and deeper scales. And so at some point, we've got to know how to speak with each other. Do I make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense, you know? And I think that's what what I was getting to about the power behind it, because what he was really saying there, in addition to what you just said, was that nobody can take the ultimate freedom from you. And that's how you respond to any situation. Like nobody can take, nobody can, nobody can take that away. We we have a saying in, 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 in my community, Rich, and I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, It may belong in yours as well. It's not what they call you. It's what you answer to. Mm. There was a lot. It's so interesting that you picked up on that part of my book, my conversation with my father, Mm -hmm. because there was so much in that, that continues to teach me and give to me. I mean, dad, think about it. Here's a man whose early teenage daughter is in a circumstance that's not only physically challenging, but emotionally and mentally challenging before we even get to the academics of it all. Mm -hmm. And How do you answer your daughter who says, I don't want to go back there Mm -hmm. when the high school is right across the street from our home where all the other black people are going? But dad lifted the veil of his care to be able to trust the strength of what he taught me thus far. And he truly, I believe to this day, would have been supportive of whatever decision I'd made. He wasn't steering me mm-hmm. toward a decision. He was steering me toward thought. Yeah. He even, you know, he gave you the choice too. Like, do you want me to go with you or not? You know, and just the fact that he was willing to do that spoke a lot of power and truth to you too. Right. That, that allowed yes. you to, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it, it just stuck out to me. He just seemed like a man of courage and a man of integrity. 
Um, again, things that. Oh I, wow, you're you're, you're going to make me crying. <laughs> Sorry, because <laughs> we're right in front of Father's Day here, yeah. and um, um, he was, and I was a daddy's girl. Let yeah. me tell you, I was mm-hmm. a daddy's girl. So, uh, so much of what I learned from him, I didn't just learn standing or sitting with my sim- siblings on Thursday night, which was family night for us to, you know, go through the week. Uh, Thursday was the day dad got paid. So before we could get our nickel a quarter, whatever we were going to get that week, we all assembled as a family for a meeting. Um, but I, I learned a lot of what I learned from my dad sitting on his knee as well, you know? Yeah. Or it- sitting beside him watching old TV shows. I don't know if you remember Bonanza, The oh, yeah. Lone Ranger, mm-hmm. yeah. Sugarfoot, you know, <laughs> all those old shows. Uh, those were daddy shows I watched him with and just to be in his presence. Well, I, I don't I don't know why I gravitate towards those type of, like I said, reading about, I guess it's because I, I'm always reflective about the shoulders that I'm standing on and like think back to those subtle lessons that maybe even you're, you're parents don't even remember, right? I mean, it just speaks to the power of influence and how influential we are without even trying and think how much impact we could have if we became intentional about it. And that's, that's what, I mean, that's why I do this show because it reminds myself of like this, the power of influence. I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, my, my kids telling me a story like, remember when we did this and you told me this and I have no recollection of it. I don't even remember. You know, we were making cookies or something and they remember. This oh, morning. during COVID, during COVID, I'm sure we've all heard stories from our kids telling us stuff we've forgotten. <laughs> right. But, you know, we're always teaching, aren't we? Everything mm-hmm. is teaching. It's just up to us to learn. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I need to pause because I was taught better than this. And we're well into our conversation. And I've not stopped to thank you for the work you're doing. The work oh, you do please. here on this show is incredible. So thank you for it. Well, I appreciate that. But I mean, it's just amazing. You know, I saw you on, um, I, I remember reading about you a couple of years ago that I, I was refreshed to see you on um, the Wall Street documentary that about Mark Wahlberg, you know, you had a couple commentaries on wall street. And I think that's what guys like, God, I, I really would like to have her on my show. I mean, an amazing story. I mean, like I said, we, we talked about your childhood and coming up during those times, those turbulent times and setting the stage. And in the seventies in California, starting a business. I mean, I mean, so many first the world as it was, particularly for, uh, women entrepreneurs was completely different than it is now. I mean, you had to be a trailblazer. You had to put up with a lot of stuff. You had to be courageous. You had to battle the imposter syndrome, all of those things. It's just an amazing story. I mean. Yeah. So, so somebody told me once, and it was recent. I, I, if I can remember the name, I'm going to give credit to it before this uh, uh, this conversation is over. But the the message was so important. They said, you know, when I think of, cause I had said, Oh, I'm tired of being the first. And they said, you know, I feel you on that. Uh, you know, the, the thing about being the first, it simply means that you were the first one to that opportunity, mm-hmm. but there were so many more gifted to the ability of it. And sometimes I think we take being a first as something truly heroic. When, if that opportunity is presented to us for the first time, it really would be cowardice or less than optimal to not perform to it. You have a military background. Mm -hmm. I think you understand 
how strong a unit is and how important every part of that unit is to everybody's success. And so I think I take being the first as part of something, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that you kind of approached it with even when you were probably in your teens and early 20s, you had this sense, I'm just guessing, I'm being presumptuous, that you probably had like you felt obligated towards something like you felt obligated to create something of significance. Not, I don't know if you felt that way or not, but I think, Oh my God. Oh my God. You, you know, I don't know. I feel as though I'm on your couch right now. You know? <laughs> uh, but I mean, and I've been interviewed by many, many people. Mm-hmm. You're going in, in a way that is different. And let me tell you, you are so right. I mean, Growing up, we got a TV late in my uh, in, in in my uh, childhood, and I remember that some of the images we saw were of civil rights activists. You remember the images of mm-hmm. the maybe you don't remember. You're too young of the hoses, oh, yeah, water, mm-hmm. you know, the dogs. And then when I left home and I was uh, I went to North Carolina A and T State University. And, and 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 I'm there on a campus that had bred so much of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. You can see those four students in the uh, Smithsonian today um, at that Walgreen um, counter. Yeah, you know, with the city yep. that stemmed many mm-hmm. of the marches, and to have heard the voices from two opposing sides working toward the same goal of civil justice, one screaming, burn it down, and another screaming, bend down and look up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and to have grown up with my eyes opening to so much that my I couldn't comprehend with my heart and my mind. By the time my journey was made to adulthood, I felt Never a sense of burden, mm-hmm. but always, always, Rich, a sense of responsibility yeah. to live up to my best. For goodness sake, when I was sent over to the white school, uh, my 11th grade year, as part of our town's effort toward immigrate I- integration, um, I was reminded every single day by good-meaning adults and loving family members. You represent all of us. Don't let us down, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, At a time when most young girls were just worried about whether or not they could get the lipstick off they put on when they got to school before they got home or, you know, other things of childhood. Um, But I I was filled with this, I was filled with this championship of my race. I knew very early that a lot of people on the east side of Panola Street felt they were being measured by how I behaved when I went to the west side. Mm -hmm. And I had to get home early to be safe and have brothers escort me back. Um, Mom and dad were tremendous in how they helped me to see that. Nonetheless, there were others giving me messages as well. So to build a company meant that for me, I brought a lot of what I learned about my own self-discipline, about the truth that every single thing matters and that nobody does anything by Mm themselves. All of those are components of how I have culturally and uh, 
from a protocol perspective, built the business that I'm blessed to lead today. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. And oftentimes mm-hmm. I've even asked myself to leave some of that stuff behind and enjoy the moment. I don't know a single moment in my life where I'm not conscious these days of those early teachings. Well, I mean, all those experiences make, I mean, everything, even when we're sitting right here right now, all those past experiences that have made us who we are right now at this moment. And so to ignore them would be, you know, kind of foolish, right? But I think it's like how, what, what you do with that, because it's easy. And this is where I think, you know, it speaks to kind of the challenges that we're even facing today. It's like, you're to me a great example. Like you went through a gauntlet that I can't even imagine. And you chose, and again, it goes back to like, we were talking about your old man talking about, you know, the, that, that subtle message or that powerful message of nobody can take that freedom of how you choose to respond to any situation. Like that became ingrained in you early. And so even as you go through all that gauntlet of everything from, high school to starting your business, to being a, a, a woman in the business in the seventies and dealing with all of that, you know, everything you still chose to respond in a very empowering way. And I think that gets lost in today's noise, right? Which it, 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 it does. And it also frames how you see things going forward. Let me, let me tell you something. I don't know why this comes to mind right now, Rich, but I remember not too many years ago, I was invited to speak as part of the president series at a university in Florida. Went down there so excited, received with so much welcome. Everything was beautiful about this experience. I was going to be Uh, one of four executives on a stage speaking to the business school and other students and community uh, minded people who were there right before my name was being called to enter the stage. And I was the last name being called. I got nervous. Mm -hmm. And what I was seeing instead of everything else that was beautiful about that moment, was that I was the only Black person on that stage, the only woman on that stage. And when I looked out in the audience, I couldn't see anything but white students and people on that stage. I went ahead and I said my little prayer I say before, you know, I go to the Book of Luke because I'm born Christian, uh, you know, and ask that, you know, I don't be focused on myself, but that I allow God's words to speak through me and I be but a vessel. And God must have answered because at the finish of that, And here's the thing that that I'm thinking about. I just preamble with that. At the finish of that, when we're all standing there and the students are free to come up and talk, it seems as though had it been a boat, it would have tilted the whole room at kind of crowded over toward my end of the stage. And the first people to greet me were these gorgeous, young, blonde, blue-eyed, brunette, (laughs) excited young women. And here's what they said. Oh, Miss Janice, we had to get up here to see you. We got questions, but can we take a picture first? We are so excited to finally see somebody like us on stage. Mm -hmm. They didn't see Black. Mm -hmm. They didn't see all the stuff Mm -hmm. 
that had challenged my emotions mm-hmm. before I walked on that stage. Yeah. They saw them in me. Yeah. In an educational institution. Yeah. In my 11th grade, that would have been worth rubies mm-hmm. for me to see somebody. Yeah. And so I don't even know why we're going here. This, <laughs> that was great. No, it's awesome. But I walked out on that stage seeing myself as the only and very different and apart from, but with a good message. Right. Those girls saw themselves. Right. Right. They saw me through a different lens than I saw myself. And the responsibility to that. Oh, excuse me, please. The oh, no. responsibility to that. Um, it it felt big, but it also felt so doable. Yeah. They changed how I walk onto stages. Wow. That's amazing because that, that gets to the point of what, what kind of drives me crazy with like the, the narrative of everything that we see, like we can't even like, like, like you, gosh, for the first, you saw yourself in a different lens, right? Yeah. They saw somebody, they saw them in me. They yeah, saw somebody right. who looked like them to me. These are young white girls on a college campus. They saw somebody who looked like them. Right. And they have taught me for the rest of my life. I went there to teach them. Right. But wow, what they taught me. And I think as leaders, we've all got these lessons that are being given us when we open to, to learn them. Sometimes we're so busy teaching, we forget to learn, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, there's so many things I'm thinking about my my mind's kind of racing right now, but I mean, but it speaks to kind of your core belief that the principles of success, and this is for everybody. And I know I believe this wholeheartedly. The principles of success do not depend upon gender. They do not depend upon race. And even though, as you say in your book, that the techniques and the biases do exist and we know they exist, Mm -hmm. but those principles work for everyone and everyone, right? I wish it could be my experience could be the same as yours, but it can't. It's just the life isn't that way, unfortunately, or fortunately. I don't know if that's good or bad, to be quite honest, because the, the, the going through the gauntlet that you did, and again, it goes back to the power of choice, shaped you into this wonderful mm-hmm. value-added individual, Right. And it doesn't whitewash, no pun intended, it doesn't whitewash the ugliness that we've experienced or the society has produced, but it speaks to the nobility and the power or the power of of freedom and and the power to choose and all those great principles. Brilliant Kipling said, and he spoke from a gender perspective, I teach all my employees and friends to please take the gender out and neutralize it. Mm -hmm. But he says in the first lesson of his poem, if, if we can keep our heads when all about us are losing theirs and blaming it on us. I think so many during COVID have had great opportunities to think back on that, whether they know Rudyard Kipling's writings or not. And I think in a way what you and I are talking about 
is the ability to keep our heads and make our choices. Yeah, the composure piece, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. Once, and, once we give once we give way to the flame, yeah. we burn. But if we can just realize the purpose of the heat, I think we can adjust it. <laughs> I like you know? that. Yeah, the purpose of the heat, and that goes that speaks to the seeking to understand, which is what we don't. Nobody really does well, despite all this advances in technology. It's, it's the seeking to understand. It's this empathy quotient or the emotional quotient that doesn't get exercised enough. And, and and my challenge, my gauntlet in life is not something to measure against someone else's. Yeah. We're that's a futile effort. Right. The things that you've gone through in your life from your frame give you equal opportunity to display to what you said earlier, Rich. It's about that purpose that we have and how we move forward is how I interpret it. Where you were talking with me, that influenced me to think back about my mom in a way I hadn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, I'm just trying to think, you know, how old were you when, in this, when you started act one in night, was it 78? Was it in California? 1978, and I was too young to do it, so don't worry about that. <laughs> right. Actually, yeah, I shouldn't be asking what the age was. Yeah, but, so <laughs> here you are. I mean, I think, what was the, if you can look back now, I'm curious what your mindset was. What was the dream then, I guess? I mean, obviously to start a business, I mean, I know that. But if, if you could sit there and say, what, what, were you, what were you hoping to accomplish? <laughs> you are going places today. Sorry, I'm um, just curious. <laughs> honestly, honestly. I, I didn't have that dream to build a big business and I'd not had a lot of entrepreneurial role models in front of me. Um, it was a way that I was going to earn a living differently than I had before. And it was going to be fun. fun. And it didn't real. And, and I shouldn't be saying that. I mean, as an entrepreneur, I should be expressing that I had this great dream of doing this or doing that. I did not. It was an easier gig than finding a job. And, <laughs> and I like what that answer, occurred though. for me, what occurred for me was that it was a business when I needed to hire somebody else. Then I got serious. And then I started to recognize not only the opportunity in it, but the responsibility of it as a company. But to sit here and fake you after so much uh, technologically supported intimacy of conversation would be wrong. The truth is, when I started the company, I didn't see its future. It was just helping me get through my present. Well, yeah, but I, I love that answer because it, it... It's not something to be proud of, but it's the truth. But, and well, I hope I've made... I hope I've made something to be proud of from it. Absolutely. Well, sure you did. But I, and I don't even think that answer is something to be, I, I don't even think that mindset to have at that time when you did that is something to be ashamed of by, by any means. I mean, yeah, you could probably done it better, but you did it because you were, it's, for some reason, you were listening to something. You were listening to some sort of calling, but you probably couldn't define it. My brother-in-law, Tom Noonan, <laughs> a first generation Irishman who told me he saw in me what I didn't see in myself. 
he told me, you've got to give it a shot. You know, he used these words, hang your own shingle, you know, Mm -hmm. and I don't know to this day because I never went back to ask him. We were too busy having fun on other levels. Uh, My brother-in-law, my sister and me. But I don't know to this day if Tommy really was protecting me against what he knew was in some ways the same kind of racism in LA that I thought I'd left on the East coast Mm. or whether he had all that confidence in my ability. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. He was a great guy and and I'm forever grateful. Um, And you know why we start things. I teach people it's important to revisit why you start something, whether it's a business an initiative or even a relationship, you know, what were you looking to then? And is that still what you're looking to? Life is so iterative and, and it can come apart at the seams, but it can also be put together like a puzzle. It just depends on what you're looking for. Do I make sense there? Yeah, absolutely. When I think it speaks to, I I thought a great part of your book in acting up was when you were talking about building your your own personal brand. I mean, how I interpreted that when I read it, it's just, it's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like, if you caught, what I heard you say is if you could kind of replay the tape, you know, this 20 something year old young woman could have probably been better suited or you would have felt better about yourself if you would have done the work to discover what it is you're trying to do and why. But it's hard to do when you're in your 20s. Like you said, and you were just trying to do something besides get a real job. You're trying to have fun and do that, which Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with it because I still think you were listening to – I think you were listening to something. You probably just couldn't articulate it. But I think – because I look back when I think about my 20s, same thing. It's like I did it because it just felt like I wanted to do it. I certainly didn't sit down. And, 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 and you know the big thing? The big thing, some people get it early. Some people get it later. Um, but the big thing, I think you don't force it. Right. You really need to know you yes, so that you can come to it whole. You can come to it with the level of commitment it deserves to be driven from. I truly do believe that, you know, and, 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 and forcing yourself into identifying that big thing may cause you to appropriate other people's missions. Mm -hmm. It can cause you to fail flat where failure is not toward success. You know, uh, there are a lot of people who talk about all the failures to success. Um, I do think we have to be a little bit more patient with life and impatient with not living it. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Because if you live that way, if you're a little more patient with it and you kind of just like, well, I'm going to go here, but do the best you can to kind of figure out why am I doing that? What do I want to do? Because to your point, I mean, how many people, how many people have we known or maybe we've done it ourselves? Like, well, I did this because this is what was expected of me, or I did this because this was the highest paying salary, or I did this because I read an article in Newsweek saying this is the top 20 high paying jobs out of college, right? You gotta listen. I can look at leaders and I'm sure people look at us as leaders. I can look at leaders And I can pretty much land on whether they've learned to forgive themselves or not. Mm. And a leader who can, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking that from the idea of identifying that big thing. So what if you fail or so what if you haven't got it yet? Forgive yourself because you can see 
in the leadership uh, uh, personality, whether someone has learned, Rich, to forgive themselves or not by how they work with others. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're going to have to forgive me if my grand puppy makes a noise no, in the I middle of that. our podcast because she gets free reign of the house. So yeah, if she well, comes in, she gets to talk too. Yeah, I got five dogs. And that, one of the rules is the kitchen's right above me. And uh-huh. if the dogs walk in the kitchen, you can hear their nails and it picks up on the microphone. So I always have to, when I do podcasts, <laughs> we got to keep the dogs out of the kitchen. Yeah. Now, but now it's about the time the UPS guy comes though, and that that's when all the dogs lose their mind when the UPS driver pulls up. So we <laughs> we may we may get to hear that. No, I get that. Um, that's where we live, isn't it? It is for sure. No, I just I just I don't know when I read Acting Up, and there's just so many things. Uh, the empowerment part, like how you knew to run an organization where people feel empowered. I, I, I call it decentralized decision-making. You didn't, you didn't use those words in your book, but it's kind of that same, like you're giving people as long, you, you see your role or what I got from reading that was that this is about creating an organization where I'm going to define what we're trying to accomplish and why, and I'm going to hire the right people and I'm going to let them unleash. Right. And yes. And, 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 and when you empower people, that does not mean it's yours to give and take back yeah. because that's not true power. What it does mean is that you have to give them the freedom to make mistakes on the way to your success. Right. You'll read in there somewhere about uh, we talk about in our organization, the feet upon which we stand mm-hmm. freedom to innovate excellence in delivery, everything matters. So invest the time to understand. I love it. How do you say that on a wall and not allow people to walk that? Right. You know, they quickly understand. Many people quickly understand the difference between the branding that an organization hires a marketing team to put forward and the branding that actually occurs through the earning Mm -hmm. of the respect of the people who work there. And at Act One Group, we are blessed because some of the best people on earth work here. Even before you get to the best professionals, some of the best people, you know, people who know each other. I can't tell you, we thought we were a close organization before COVID, since COVID, tears, birthday. <laughs> All kinds of things have occurred on our Zoom and team meeting. And we are hungry to get back together as people. And so that's why I say not only that, you know, if a leader has learned to forgive themselves by how they conduct their authority over others in the organization, you also get the best output yeah. When people understand what empowerment means in an organization, many organizations call it empowerment, but they really mean it as responsibility. Those are not one and the same thing, even right. though they reside well together. No, you're right. I, that's that's a great insight. I haven't heard somebody say that in a long time, but I agree with you 100 percent. Right. Knowing what 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 that means. It's kind of like you're, you're still accountable, like. I kind of equate it to flying airplanes. Like I fly because I'm a pilot, right? And I fly multi-crew airplanes. There's a bunch of leadership responsibility in that plane on diff- different positions. 
and you need to let those people thrive in their functional leadership responsibilities. In other words, I had a load master who loaded the plane in the back. I didn't know how to do that. But if I sign for the mm-hmm, plane as mm-hmm. the pilot and command aircraft commander, I'm accountable if he goons it up, right? If he if he screws right. it up, I'm a, a lot of people don't get that, right? They don't get that that part and, of it. And, and and along with that, not not as well as, but along with that, it's important to allow people to make the mistakes mm-hmm. before they expose to the customer yes. or to the client or to the patient or to the student, you know, and that's part of that freedom, that empowerment, because when you put people in positions of authority and you give no empowerment to that authority, you leave them, well, at worst, reckless, but at best, they're still not 100% supported. Right, right. And if they know that you have, to your point, if I know that you have my back and you give me that freedom and I do make that mistake. I don't have to sweep the broken lamp under the rug. I can go. You're going to put your arm around me and say, I understand. It's okay. It's just a lamp. Look, forget about the lamp. You come from the military. Mm -hmm. Now you speak better to this than I do. You know how important every single person deployed is in an active engagement period. Mm -hmm. And you may have rank and file, but every single part of that file is important for that rank to be successful. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And, and if and if I know that I can approach you in a comfortable way about the broken lamp and you say, I got this, and then you support yeah. me up the chain and you go up and you tell dad, hey, he's all right. He's just kind of a knucklehead today. He's learning, you know, Yes. And then I am so loyal to you. That loyalty is hard. I've seen that in so many cases where you kind of support that person that makes that that good egg that makes the honest mistake, and mm-hmm. you support them. You breed loyalty that is unmatched. You know, and that's yeah, what people don't yeah, think, yeah. Know. And 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 you and you inspire confidence in themselves. Mm-hmm. When you beat a person down because of an error, yeah, you're basically saying they failed or that they are a failure. Right. When you brush them off. And, you know, we were talking about Tommy earlier, Tommy Noonan, my brother-in-law. I remember when uh, our kids would play ball outside. Uncle Tommy, if they fall down and he saw them about to cry or whatever, I remember his first thing was, save, save, (laughs) you know, yay, and pull their little arms up, you know? And, 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 And I've seen as our children who are now in their 30s, can you believe they'll soon be older than I am? Um, <laughs> and they they have that approach to life where they're not necessarily ignorant to when failure occurs in a circumstance, but they never wear it as a part of who they are. Mm-hmm. It's just one more experience towards success, Yeah, you know, and that's something that got bred in them very early in life. Yeah. I'm not suggesting they don't feel the impact of something they go for and miss, but it inspires them. They learn from it and they move forward. And I think the same thing happens in um, in business meetings and sure. in uh, corporate environments. Yeah. And it, bre- it breeds a um, mindset of like, what does even failure even mean? It's like the word's kind of a 
it's a kind of a non it loses some of its impact you know failure doesn't isn't isn't a fina- finality word or isn't isn't a, a, a yeah and oh 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 rich and and then think about this how one failure in one circumstance can be applied toward a success in another. I mean, I got a lot of sticky notes around here that were representations of failures from scientists and researchers that 3M saw the success in. (laughs) Right. I I was visiting one of our national labs, and I think they told me that some researcher just took the mistake and started sticking it with notes up and 3M said, I can commercialize that. But it was a, it it was originally supposed to be a way to build plane wings that didn't fall off. (laughs) That's right. right. And so, so, so we can use everything for the good. Now I come from a biblical background. So, you know, some of that may be from my biblical teaching that God can use everything for the good. (laughs) Right. Right. But I think in business, we can also learn that, you know, when we don't make people afraid to fail out loud. Empowerment is about allowing people to fail out loud on their way to success. If they got to hide those failures, nobody's winning from it and it may destroy them. That's right. Yeah. Embrace the mistake. In the aviation community, we call it embrace the failures, embrace the mistakes. They just can't be fatal. Oh, I love that. They just can't. I be, love that. They can't be fatal, right? And and mm. so yeah, and so embrace them and talk about them openly. That's one thing I got from flying airplanes and debriefing. Like when you got back, you would just openly talk about how I didn't do this too well, and we did that, and you just kind of own up to it. And, and we were talking about first. I'm sure when you fly a plane, you get those first times. And I don't know this. I'm I'm, I'm just thinking it that you get those first times you encounter this weather, or the mm-hmm. first time you encounter that circumstance. And you got to put everything you've learned up until then to work in order to get to where you're going. Yeah, I think having that humble, teachable spirit always, right? Never getting too big for your britches and just realizing you can learn something from every moment, no matter no matter how many times you've been down this road. You're right, because there's it's those moments where I got too comfortable or too cocky that the aviation gods kind of humbled me and slapped me in the face and said, not so fast, right? And so... Or when things got really rough and, and Captain Sully had to make decisions mm-hmm. that were human decisions and, and that were wrapped around what his professional knowledge taught right. him. Exactly right. I think he even said that. Everything up to that moment, everything I've learned my entire life up to that moment brought itself to bear at that exact moment, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, we, how we apply skill to humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You you know, Rich, you've taken me into some places emotionally <laughs> and, and and dare I say intellectually that I hadn't thought we were going to be doing. I thought we were going to just be, you know, textbook leadership combo. Nah. I should have known better after listening to you for so much, though, that you would do the same thing to uh, me. Oh, I don't know. I'm just curious. Right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take you down this path. It was just fun. I mean, there's everybody is like I said, I've done this for eight years and there's nothing new under the sun, not, but right. But the way you wrote acting up, I mean, it really resonated with me. Again, it's just the simplicity of it all. When I mean simp- simplicity, I don't mean it's simple. I mean, it's just, it's the clarity behind it is just, it was refreshing. And I, yeah, you know, that's one of my teaching. Simple doesn't mean easy. <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't always mean easy, does it? <laughs> no. 
yeah, to do something simple takes a lot of work, right? To to write a really, and I don't know, you just, and again, it was it was just the the references to your your parents. Um, you talking about the the uh, art of war, Sun Tzu, and I hadn't that surprised me that that was such a a big impact for you and and your late husband's um, kind of mindset there. And I thought that was great because I was I'm a big fan of Sun Tzu too. I don't know, I just I think you're you're an amazing individual and, and you got so many great lessons to, to teach people and you've done it. And that's how you look at life, right? You, you feel like there's an obligation to make the place better than you found it. I mean, I, I think that's. And what- how incredible was it that these years later, this white guy from Yorkshire <laughs> decides that he sees something in me that he can't live without. He got there first, you know. Right. I mean, I mean, Bernie's transitioned in August. So I have to be very honest. I do believe he's an angel, literally and physically over my shoulder. Uh, but um, how incredible is it that those, uh, everything matters. The way my parents raised us mm-hmm. allowed me to have a heart open to hear him. Because a lot of folks growing up, during my time or under my circumstances might not have been as open or trusting of some as white as you can get in life guy <laughs> right coming up and saying trust me right <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah. and, and 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 trusting him was one of the best decisions i ever made in my life yeah i would have liked to have met him too he seemed like a really 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 great guy yeah. Rich, you know, he never got more than a fourth grade education. Really? Yet he, yeah, yet I watched him instruct professors, doctors of their craft. Yeah. He was one of the brightest people I'd ever met. And uh, at the point I met him, and he had traveled the world so much and learned from every encounter. And he was one of the most open. We are, we're all talking about DE&I, diversity and, you know, inclusion. And he came so humbly already there into my life. Um, he is one of the greatest people I've met in my life. And I've met a lot of people who are known for being great. Yeah. <laughs> um, he. What a, what a blessing. What a blessing Thank to you. know him, you know, yeah. you guys were meant yeah. for each other. And yeah, it's just, you know, just the, the wisdom and, and it's so great. Like I said, you've, you honored him, uh, your parents uh, in their book. And it's just, it's just great. I just, I remember I, asking him what his middle name was. Um, and I won't try to fake his Yorkshire accent. You know how people play on <laughs> yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> but um he he was full of ideas and very, very Yorkshire, very heavy mm-hmm. accent. And he said his name was Bernard Halroyd. And um, I asked him, oh, yeah, late. I said, what's your middle name? And he said, I didn't need one. Bernard was enough. <laughs> what an awesome <laughs> answer. <laughs> That's awesome. He said his mother knew he wouldn't need a middle name. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I tell you, Right up until the day we signed to get married, I was still looking. What's that middle name this man then won? <laughs> but, but when I met his mother, you talked about how our 
our, our parents' influences and the shoulders we stand on. Uh, his mother, Lizzie, had quite broad shoulders herself. Her name was not Elizabeth. It was Lizzie, L-I-Z-Z-I-E. And um, she, she, um, she married a Yorkshireman. She was from Lancashire. And wow, did Bernie get some combination of the two of those as well. <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, Janice, I've taken up a lot of your time. This has been such an impactful conversation for me. I am so blessed to have met you, and uh, I hope we can stay in touch. But um, is there anything else that we didn't touch upon that that you'd want people to know before we wrap it up here? You know, what you do is so important, and thank you for giving me that platform. I think it would be uh, iterative and reiterative, uh, uh, and I'll give it. My daughter says, never say, but it means everything you just said is yeah, no longer true. That's right, yeah. um, so I would, I would repeat, never compromise who you are personally to become who you wish to be professionally. Right. That right. doesn't mean being selfish about the things you really want. It means being wholesome and honest to who you really are. Yeah. I love that. Well said. Janice, thanks for coming on the show. How can people uh, learn more about you and reach out to you? And, and we didn't even get to what's next with you. What's what's exciting down the path coming up here? But how can- Just visit AskJVH. That's a dot com. AskJVH.com. We'll have links to that uh, on okay. the post. But gosh, Janice, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we work together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.